everybody. Ben Fredrickson here alongside Dave Matter for a new episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast here at the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Dave is back from SEC Media Days, and we're going to dig into what Eli Drinkwitz did and didn't have to say down there in Nashville and some some takeaways from some other comments from other coaches as we kind of have the unofficial kickoff to the college football season, Dave. It's uh, I don't know what SEC Media Days is. It's not the kickoff. It's more like the the huddle, the pregame huddle before yeah. the, uh, the kickoff, the walkthrough, if you will. But it gets the college football juices flowing, and uh, it kind of shows you that uh, really still the SEC is is – as close to of a spectacle as a Super Bowl media day when it comes to college football media days. It's a big event. They're going to put it in Dallas next year to welcome Texas and Oklahoma. This year is in Nashville. And of all the sparks that fly and the, uh, you know, the big headlines that are made, it was kind of a subdued SEC media days for Eli Drinkwitz, Dave. And that's not surprising. That's kind of what we predicted going into this thing. Yeah. And that was all by intention. I mean, I, Eli kind of let some of us know, earlier in the summer that this was the approach he was going to take. And, and some of it comes with being 17 and 19 in three years. You know, you get to a point where you are who your record says you are, and you don't really, you don't really have the, uh, you know, the place in the conference to go start making a bunch of jabs and barbs and uh, poking fun at folks when you, when you've got a losing record and you're losing to a lot of people that you're um, that you're surrounded by at these events but I think it also stems from, you know, back at the SEC spring meetings, we've talked about this a lot. He made a comment about one thing and it kind of got twisted into something else and he went viral. And as much as you can go viral on Twitter for a comment about NIL or whatever it might be. And uh, he, he, he stuck to his guns. He, he was pretty by his standards. He was pretty boring at SEC media days. They came in, said what they had to say. It also kind of goes along with their, uh, you know, the theme of what he's trying to have this team adopt going into the season, they've got a little initials for it, STP, something to prove. And basically it's, hey, there's no sense in talking anymore. They've got to get it done. They don't need to talk about the close losses last year. They don't need to talk about the, um, you know, the things that were so close to turning the season around last year. Um, They just need to go out and do it. And, you know, I think that kind of embodies where this football program is right now. It's year four. It's time to show up. It's time to turn the corner. Um, it's time to back up three years of talk and produce some better results. And I think Eli gets that. He gets that as much as anyone. The three guys that he had there, all good guys. They shared a few interesting things, but not the type that are going to make headlines for uh, any grandiose comments or predictions or anything like that. Company men, if you want to say that, call them that. Uh, so, yeah, it was uh, not a lot of big headlines came out of it for Missouri, and I think that was – all by design. One headline that did come out of it before we dig into maybe some of the ripples that Eli did make, but a rule change that is very much traceable ex- directly to Missouri. And you yeah. and I were at that Kentucky game last year where there was a, a roughing the kicker call on a punt that was the Kentucky punter trying to scramble madly to pick up a ball that flew over his head. And because he never actually left the tackle box, he just ran straight back and never made an attempt to, I guess, run, although he looked like he was clearly running for his life, the the rule was correct. The call never felt right, and it absolutely was huge in Missouri losing that game. And they've now changed that rule, Dave. They've they've made it the the Missouri rule, I guess, where where if a punter moves around more than five yards, even back, then that, that penalty can't be called. 
it didn't look right at the time, even though we understood the wording of the rule. It doesn't help Missouri any now that it was changed. That was a close one of those close losses against Kentucky. But always interesting when a direct play that stood out over the course of the season gets to be the exact emphasis for a rule change that gets made. Yeah, absolutely. John McDade, who's the coordinator of officials in the SEC, he spoke on on Tuesday morning and it was uh, one of the big the big change everybody's talking about is the clock not stopping uh, on an income uh, after a first down, which is the big rule change in college football this year. But this other one, he, he called it more of an editorial change. So it was a more a change in the wording than than it is a, a big, huge, you know, philosophical change. Um, but he did point out that the he, he the official that made the call in the game last year, the roughing the, the punter penalty, he did talk to him right after and he wanted to know his rationale for calling the play. And then he said, well, based on what he said and what he saw, it was the right call. But when they discussed, he called the caretakers of the games, the folks that set the rules in the offseason, said that maybe that didn't meet the spirit of the rules uh, to give a punter protection in a case like that. So the change is that if the kicker possesses the ball more than five yards behind his original spot, where he uh, where he was at the snap, then he doesn't have that protection anymore. Like you have five yards laterally in the tackle box, and that was that rule comes from the old rugby style kick that a lot of players, a lot of punters used, uh, you know, going back ten years ago or so when that started to be a trend. So yeah, it's it's no consolation to Missouri. Uh, again, I think that I think some folks forget Missouri was losing that game when that play happened. So. It's not like it directly led to Kentucky taking the lead, but it, it could have set the Tigers up in really good uh, field position. You know, that was a game where they were like two of 13 on third down. So they weren't moving the ball very well, but you know, and I wrote this the other day, you, you couple that, if that call is made differently and they win that game, you couple that with the one and two plays in the Auburn game uh, that, that could have gone the other way. You know, Missouri was really close to being eight and four last year. And, and then if you win a bowl game, and there's no promises there. Then you're talking about a nine-win team, uh, three plays away from being three or four plays away from being uh, eight and four. It, the the whole scope of this program and this coach and everything is is totally different than it is after another six and seven season. So just shows you how this this game is really is a game of inches. The dumb cliche that people use all the time, and uh, it's just another one to to point out and say, hey, this this is how close they were last season, but. Again, Eli doesn't want to talk about last year. He doesn't want to talk about the close calls. He wants people looking forward and moving forward. So we'll, we'll see if that comes up any any longer. Last year, it was Brady Cook trying to lead Missouri to those touchdowns and those third down conversions. And I don't know why people keep seeming surprised, Dave, when Eli Drinkwitz keeps saying, as of right now, the same person this season will be Brady Cook. Now, that can change. And he made some interesting comments about how he felt like he maybe pulled the trigger too early on previous quarterback decisions and maybe we'll let it play out a little bit more, but he's making it very clear on how this shakes out to start and, and how the competition is staged. And it is Brady Cook and people who want to challenge him for the starter's job. And that doesn't mean that Brady will absolutely be the starter, but he said this in St. Louis this offseason. People lost their minds on social media. He's saying the exact same thing at SEC Media Days. And I think it's twofold. I think it's an nod, it's a nod to Brady for what he's done. And I think it's also a challenge to the other quarterbacks to go and take the job and not simply think that it's going to be handed to them. And certainly know that's how Brady approaches it. But 
I didn't read his comments as saying Brady Cook's the starter, but I did read them as saying it's his job to lose and someone's going to have to take it from him if they want it. Yeah, absolutely. And that that tracks with what Eli said earlier this summer, earlier this spring. Somebody has to be the number one quarterback when the number ones go out and take snaps and practice. And it makes all the sense in the world that it be the guy who started the last 14 games for you. So um, that does not mean that he will necessarily be the, the number one quarterback when the season kicks off August 31st, it could be, I mean, he's got, I I think he would have the best shot since he does have that experience, but they want to have a real competition. And I thought it was really interesting that Eli voluntarily said last year, I pulled the trigger, not necessarily too soon, but he pulled it really early and he doesn't want to do that again. Not to say he wouldn't have gone with Brady cook had he waited a little bit longer, but I think he wants that competition to last longer to, to get everybody to get a chance uh, to fairly have a shot at the job. And of course, that's Sam Horn, um, who I, I don't think fans should write off. I think he's got a, a shot here. And then Jake Garcia, the transfer they bring in from Miami. He's even talking about Dylan Liable, the junior college uh, transfer, who put up, you know, ridiculous numbers in junior college last year. Now, he's he's not a favorite by any means as, among the contenders. Um, but if they're going to have an honest, open competition, you know, you have to consider all options. But uh, we'll see. I mean, Brady's coming off the surgery. Uh, we'll we'll see if that helps his arm. If if I, he's at full strength, they're saying he's he's fully cleared to throw the ball. He was at the Manning Passing Academy last month, so um, I'd expect him to go out there and, and try to, you know, retain this job and fight for it and show the toughness and moxie like he always has. But um, I I just wouldn't write up Sam Horn. Um, Eli had some really positive things to say about him, about his maturation, not about necessarily anything football related, but just how he's a year older. He's been immersed in the program. He, he really thinks that brief experience with the baseball team and the success he had on the mound elevated his confidence and it's translating towards football. Interesting. Uh, so we'll see. And he, you know, he mentioned that he's taking care of his diet more. This is not a secret. Um, Sam is a diabetic. He has to take care of that. Uh, on his own now he's not at home in high school with you know parents and family around him to monitor him all the time so that's something he's has to be extra responsible for uh so and and Eli brought that up he said he's done a really good job with that done a good job with academics and sometimes when you're taking care of all that stuff off the field it can you know make for an easier experience on the field so I I thought it was interesting that he brought that up and um yeah I, I I would this thing is not over. I don't, I don't think it's just coach speak to say, Hey, there's going to be an open competition. I really don't. One of the things that, so Eli left a lot of ambiguity there intentionally. One of the things he wasn't, he wasn't um, shaky on or, or, or perhaps vague on was, was how this offense is going to work. And he was compared to another coach in the conference who was maybe a little prickly about bringing in an offensive play caller for an offensive minded coach. Eli was very much not. And he was singing the the praises of Kirby Moore and saying, I, I, I will give Eli a lot of respect, a lot of praise for saying, I didn't do a good enough job in this area last year. So I went out and hired someone that I'm going to let do a job that I think they can do a better job and I'll be better at doing other things that the head coach is required to do. It's not easy for anybody to say something like that, especially not in the world of college football coaching, where you're always expected to have the answers and you're always supposed to be able to do everything. I thought his comments about Kirby Moore and letting him take over the play calling duties, but, but not, you know, not abandoning that in the sense that they think similarly about offense and he'll have, he'll have a say in some things, but I thought it, I thought it did a few things. I thought it really showed accountability. I thought it took pressure in some ways off of 
some of the other elements of the offense that we're going to spend a lot of time talking about perhaps. And I thought it kind of empowered Kirby to have the confidence and the, and the, and the support of everybody involved in the program saying, okay, this guy knows what he's doing. He's here for a reason. And, and the head coach is, is backing him. Compare how Eli Drinkwitz handled that situation. You were there, you heard them both. So how Jimbo Fisher was when asked about hiring Bobby Petrino, he kind of acted as if like, well, yeah, you know, we're going to figure that out. And, but I don't want to get into the details and, you know, like wouldn't even just say, you know, I understand that the opinions of Bobby Petrino are very across the board and very people have a lot of opinions. One thing no one can have a differing opinion on is the guy knows offense. He knows right. how to score points. He knows how to get quarterbacks to play well. If you took the baggage of hiring Bobby Petrino for all of his other issues that he's shown, at least just let him run the damn offense when you had a terrible offense last year. But he can't he can't get there. At least, you know, he had all offseason to plan for how he was going to handle these questions, and he melted down. I thought E. Drinkwitz was calm, cool, collected, and seemed very prepared and had a had a plan compared to Jimbo Fisher there. Yeah, Jimbo seemed surprised that Bobby Petrino was his offensive coordinator. Like, who told, like, like no one told him? About it. Um, it, it, there, there Barry was like, hey, man, like, I would have said I love the guy calling plays. He should have stayed with me at UNLV. There, there was – the more he talked about their coordinator situation at A&M, the less – there was less clarity on how this is going to work. Like, he, it, it made it seem like they hadn't discussed, like, who's going to actually call plays and what offense are they going to run. Uh, he, he got more visibly frustrated with – the conversation as it went on and Jimbo talks really fast anyway, but he was talking super fast on this one and not making a whole lot of sense. And you contrast that. And part of that too, I think is it's not just Petrino's baggage. Bobby Petrino has arguably been a better, more successful head coach in the sec than Jimbo Fisher has. So there's some ego there. Uh, You know, what he did at Arkansas is, you know, you can put up against what, what uh, Jimbo's done at A&M. So there's, there's that going on. Kirby Moore's never been a head coach. He's only been a play caller for one year at the college level. Uh, so th- there's a separation there. But but you you contrast it to Eli. Eli sounds downright relieved that he's not calling plays this year. Like, I, I just, the more he, I think the more he's around Kirby and the more he's separated from that part of the job, I think he seems more content and, and more uh, just happy that he made that call. I mean, he literally said, I wasn't providing the benefit that we needed on the offensive side of the ball. So he wanted to embrace his role as the head coach. He mentioned the CEO role and granted, that's not why this guy got this job at Missouri in the first place. It was because he was an offensive minded head coach, but he wants to give up play calling, give up the coordinating. Uh, he's going to work more on special teams, him and Blake Baker. I found this interesting together, Blake Baker and Eli Drinkwitz are going to coach uh, the kickoff team, which um, just, maybe it's just symbolic of him giving up offense, but he's going to be more involved in other parts of the team and he's trusting Kirby to, to run the show. Uh, now, that doesn't mean he's not going to have input. Of course he is. The headsets, he's still going to be wearing the headsets when they're on offense. Um, but he is not going to be dealing with the minutia of what to do on third down in the red zone in the fourth quarter against a certain blitz. I mean, that's that's the stuff that he's handing over to Kirby. So uh, I'm, it's fascinating to see what it's all going to look like. And Kirby will, of course, have a say in that quarterback conversation, too. So. You and I have talked about this before and credit to you for being the first I heard mention this of like maybe playing both the first two games of the season, allowing Kirby to get in-game analysis of the quarterbacks, which is something that he hasn't had during his time at Missouri other than he'll have camp, but it's different when there's games in action. So Eli kind of mentioned that maybe that's something that they would consider. We'll see if they actually do or not. I think it would be 
a good idea. Um, and, and that I just thought that was interesting. And that, that kind of was the nutshell of Missouri's SEC media days where they didn't really want to say a bunch of stuff. They wanted to say, we're going to prove with what we can and can't do on the field. But then when there were moments where you kind of test the stress level or seeing if they're a little a little rattled, I, I think he passed those he passed those tests. And if I had questions about how that relationship is going to work at Texas A&M, I would have more questions now than I did going into SEC media days. And that's usually not what you want to what you want to create. Is there was there a vibe down there, Dave? And we know the Missouri is not going to be picked super high. And that's not that's not uh, a surprise. Was there a was there a vibe down there of Missouri being totally off the radar or one where they could are people talking about this defense and how good it can be? Um, is there is there what what's the what was kind of the SEC view of Missouri at this point? Um, was it hey there's a coach on the hot seat and 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 they're gonna they're gonna be, have a tough year or are people kind of uh, seeing Missouri as a team that could could go somewhere if they get some answers on offense? Yeah, for one, I think they might have benefited from being there on day one. And when you're on day one, you always share the stage with Greg Sankey. And, and Greg Sankey came out throwing haymakers at these state NIL laws like Missouri's. Um, and it was really the the crux of his annual state of the conference speech that he gave. He didn't mention any states by name, but we know he was talking about Missouri's NIL law. And I, I gave Eli a chance to respond and he um, he said that his wife reminded him <laughs> of the serenity prayer before he left the house in the morning. And he repeated the serenity prayer and basically said, I, I praying for the courage to, uh, you know, recognize I can't change the things I can't change. And Missouri state law is the law he follows for now until there's something different. So um, I thought, I thought that was interesting, but no, I, they didn't capture a lot of buzz, you know, full disclosure. I, I was only there for day one. LSU and Texas A&M were the other schools that day. Um, you know, LSU was going to be probably picked to win the West this year over Alabama. The, the final ballots are due on Thursday. They'll come out on Friday. You know, A&M always kind of gets some attention because they're either overrated or, um, you know, it's it's Jimbo kind of creates this storm around him of not necessarily controversy, but just question, questions because there's so many high expectations on that program and they don't seem to fulfill them. Uh, kind of in grand fashion sometimes. So Missouri did kind of sneak in and and not get, you know, nearly as much attention. You know, Alabama was on Wednesday. Um, Lane Kiffin pretty much came out on Thursday and just torched the whole NIL transfer portal system of college football uh, and the way things are. It's a ton of transfers, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but and And Eli, you know, didn't really create those headlines or create that buzz. So, you know, my guess, I filled out my ballot. I picked Missouri fifth in the East um, ahead of Florida and Vanderbilt. I, I can very easily be talking to them finishing ahead of South Carolina. Um, but I went with Missouri fifth. My guess is they will be picked sixth. Florida always seems to get sort of the benefit of the doubt, even though they're coming off, you know, not great season and they've got quarterback questions too. Uh, so, yeah, I don't think Missouri is going to create a lot of buzz. I think people respect the defense and what it did last year. You'll see a few defensive players make preseason all SEC. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that the, the main questions about Missouri are the ones we have, the offense, the quarterback situation, how the coordinator situation is going to work. And, you know, will it take an X number of wins for Eli Drinkwitz to be at SEC media days in 2024 in Dallas? 
I think one of the other things that jumped out to me was as Greg Sankey was hammering away on those NIL laws is it's just the, it's the most fitting thing for Missouri where for once in Missouri's existence, it tries to be the dastardly dog. It tries to be <laughs> yeah. the, uh, you know, the black hat wearer in the SEC. And I'm not saying Missouri's never had issues before. I mean, there's been academic issues. There've been, there've been, uh, I'm not presenting Missouri as like this, this NCAA, um, you know, uh, darling. But my point is when it comes to NIL and being aggressive on it, Missouri was very much sitting back saying, okay, where's this going to go? Let's be careful, cautious on how we want to approach this. And this was really the first example of Missouri saying, you know what? let's get out ahead of some of these other schools, right. you know, let's, let's, let's throw the first punch instead of always getting hit in the face and and it tries and immediately <laughs> the commissioner, the most powerful person in their conference uses Missouri's law as like an absolute example of all that's wrong with NIL. So that chalked that one up to, to just how things seem to go for Mizzou. And, and the reality is Sankey can finger wag from his pulpit all he wants. He can't do a damn thing about it unless there is, you know, going to be federal oversight and maybe that's coming. Um, we're seeing some, some folks on the, uh, surprisingly one of the few things that folks on the left and right side of the aisle politically these days seem to agree about is they, they need to be all up in athletes business and how much they, how much money they can make on NIL. So we will see if there's, if there's drawbacks or pushbacks coming, but Sankey calling for them at SEC media days, maybe, Maybe it throws some shrapnel Missouri's way, but it doesn't actually change anything. No, it really doesn't. I, I think what's interesting is the schools that are if, impacted by these really loosely regulated or these constructed NIL laws that are very liberal, not not in the sense of liberal versus conservative, left versus right, but but the, the restrictions are, are very, very loose in the Missouri law. The other state that has similar laws is Arkansas. So Sam Pittman was asked about it at his time at the podium too. And he said, I'm not getting into the politics behind it, but our NIL law is strong. He said, strong like a hog. So, I mean, he's they're loving it there. And, and interestingly enough, the other two states that have passed similar laws are Texas and Oklahoma. So the Sooners and the Longhorns, and you can throw in the, the Aggies, they're coming into the league or they're in the league with with some of the best laws, if you're looking at it from the school's perspective, from the players, the, the recruits perspective, um, it's everybody else now that's going to have to play catch up when their sessions start uh, later this year, whether that's Alabama or the state of Mississippi or Florida or whatever. So uh, Missouri is out in front of this. Now, they also realize the state lawmakers that put this together, the folks at Mizzou that lobbied for it, the coaches, they understand that this is probably not for the long haul. Like some at some point, either the NCAA or the federal government's going to come in. And I, I just, I can't put my money on the federal government coming up with something that actually makes sense and works, but that's what the, the conferences are trying to get done. Wait, so are you suggesting there that the NCAA will? No, but they'll try. <laughs> I think they'll try. Stanky would love to have just an SEC NIL policy right. that governs everything that brings transparency, but good. They can't even come up with a football schedule. How are they going to, you know, come together on, on terms for an NIL policy. So um, until until anything comes together at a at a much more big picture level, these state laws are going to be the law. And give give Missouri credit, everybody involved, for getting it done and getting out in front of this. Anything else before we go? Wrapping up SEC football media days. I got one. 
question for you, basketball related, before we wrap football. But anything else left on the football table we need to clear up? We're going to start, you know, I'll start previewing kind of the positions going into camp. They'll start camp that first week of August, and uh, it's, it'll be pretty critical. We know that they play on a Thursday night this year, so they get the season started a little bit early. SEC Nation, after skipping Columbia last year, is coming for that first game, August 31st against uh, South Dakota. Uh, we got to get ready for this. They're, they're they're not the Coyotes. It's the Coyotes. Okay, it's a there's a difference. No problem with that. That's how we that's what we call them in Sedalia. Coyotes. So Mike Kelly and Howard Richard, if you're listening, it's Coyotes, not Coyotes. What do you mean if? I know. Of course they are. My uh, my question my question right. for you was: Are you are you watching every single uh, TBT Missouri game so you can actually see Isaiah Mosley play? <laughs> um, no, I'm gonna have to admit the what the first game was Wednesday night. You're not covering this? No, I was oh. uh, I was at the Boone County Fair, uh, <laughs> family tradition. We always go when we come back from vacation. So we were there on the Ferris wheel and eating funnel cake and doing all that. And I, I missed the uh, I missed the game. Sorry. Well, we can they won, so you can catch the uh, catch the next one. It's Jonte Porter and uh, and 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 some guys who didn't get all that much playing time from Mizzou, but they're well rested for TBT. So maybe they'll win a million bucks. Who knows? Coached by Brad Luce, I think he's coaching the team. Uh, Benny Sternberg's on there, so I'm sure there'll be lots of uh, YouTube clips out there and videos. So yeah, it's- they've got some guy who's not a Mizzou player hit the game winning shot that I've yeah, never about heard that. before. It shouldn't work. Yeah, so not exactly high on my radar right now. Well, if they keep winning, maybe there's a maybe there's a column in there. Maybe I'll jump on that. All right, Dave, good stuff. Keep it locked at stltoday.com for all of your Mizzou coverage. And remind you to check out all of our podcasts at the Post-Dispatch. We've got Derek Gould's Best Podcast in Baseball at the Netfront Presence Blues Podcast. Tom Timmerman's Soccer Podcast is up and running as that team looks to uh, continue its quest to be the the pro team in St. Louis that saved a long, hot summer without Cardinals baseball postseason. And, uh, and lots of other great stuff going on on our podcast forums. Check them out, stltoday.com slash podcast. You can download them wherever you find your podcasts. And thanks, as always, for checking out the Eye on the Tigers podcast. For Dave Matter, I'm Ben Fredrickson. We will talk to you next time.